Uh, well, church, uh, a real special welcome to everyone here today. Maybe you're new, a visitor, or a guest. We're, we're thankful that you've joined us. Uh, we gather in Jesus' name. We, we, we believe Jesus has done something, uh, not only in human history, but has done something in our lives to bring us to life. We believe Jesus is God's son who was sent uh, in human form to the earth in order to take all of our sin and our shame upon himself and through his sacrifice on the cross to pay its penalty, thus reconciling us to the God who made us and loved us. We're here because of Jesus. And I'm thankful you're here. Sometimes getting out the door can be tricky and challenging. I, I, I saw um, a, a young couple with a baby and uh, getting into church this morning, and they had the diaper bag. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, man, it's, it's hard. It's hard, particularly if you, you have a young family. It's hard to get out of the house. And so thanks for gathering with us. And if you're new, uh, maybe new to church, and you feel a little out of place, just know you're not a little out of place. Though we are a little weird here, uh, because we're human, <laughs> um, you're not out of place. We're people trying to find our way in life. But we found Jesus, and he's leading us into life, and we want to invite you to be part of that with us. Since September, we've been uh, considering what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus invites every person into his own life with these words. He says, come, follow me. And so in the fall, we, we looked at this invitation Jesus gives to be his disciples. Throughout our fall series, we, we looked at this invitation through the lives of various people that we read about in the Bible. And we learned that the disciples of Jesus do three things. They walk with Jesus. They ultimately become like Jesus, and they join what Jesus is doing. Here is Jesus' singular vision for your life. Walk with me, he says. Become like me, he says. Join what I am doing in the world. And so in January, we began to press into the first of these three things. Uh, we looked at the different ways that, that, that a person can walk with Jesus through things like the spiritual rhythms. We looked at things like Sabbath and, and reading scripture and prayer and worship and generosity, and there are more, but we looked at ways that we can walk with Jesus. Today, I want to turn your attention to the next thing on the discipleship pathway. It's becoming like the one we follow, becoming like Jesus. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. As we read our text for this morning, Galatians 5, you can turn there in your device or in the Bible, in the pew, Galatians 5. I'm going to start in verse 16 and read to verse 26. Galatians 5, 16 to 26, hear the word of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul writes, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, it's peace, it's forbearance and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, this morning, um, we know that you, you love us. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that fact, but, but the truth of the matter is, Jesus, you love every person in this room. And the mystery of it all is you love us just as we are, not, not because we've done something to earn your approval, but you love us because at some moment in history you had an idea, and that idea became us. You poured life into us. You love us. And even though we've maybe wandered down different paths, wrong paths in the past, you search after us and you bring us back to your very heart. And so Jesus, I pray this morning that you would love us as I preach um, and that you would help us become like you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here in Kelowna, we can get some pretty wild windstorms, right? Uh, you've probably lived through, through some of them here, but, but i got to say that one of the fiercest windstorms that I ever experienced in my life was in Vancouver back in 2015. Maybe you were there, maybe you remember this one. This storm is on record as being the storm that has caused the most power outages in BC Hydro history. It knocked out power to over three-quarters of a million homes in the Lower Mainland. And, and, and I was there that day with my family. I remember it vividly because we were driving to my parents' house, who lived in, in the Lower Mainland at the time. And, and as we drove to their house, the trees were, were swaying back and forth like a bunch of Swifties at an heiress tour concert. It was amazing to watch. <laughs> And what normally was a half-hour drive, it took us two hours to get there because there were branches falling across the road and cars stopping and trying to drive around them. At one point, we had to swerve to avoid a branch that actually fell on the ground in front of us. At another point in the drive, we literally watched a tree fall over. Its roots kind of came up out of the ground. It was incredible. And in the wake of this storm, the, the experts got together and, and they began to try and explain why the damage was so bad. And they said that the damage was so bad, not simply because the wind was blowing 100 kilometers an hour that day. The wind was so bad because the city hadn't seen rain in months. The trees were so dry and so brittle that they simply snapped under the weight of the wind. And, and the roots were so malnourished that when the wind came, the, the tree's roots ripped up out of the ground. But here's the thing. Not all of the trees were ruined that day. Not all of them were sapped of nourishment, and, and not all of them were, were uprooted. Some flourished while the others failed. 
And this is a metaphor for the Christian life, isn't it? Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. God wants you to have a prosperous life. And now, I'm not talking about a Joel Osteen, God wants you to be rich life. God wants our lives to flourish in the ways that Jesus' life flourished. He wants us to know the kind of life that, that he made us to enjoy, a life of love and joy and peace no matter what storm we face. He wants us to experience a life that produces fruit of love and joy and peace. When Jesus says in Chris's favorite verse, John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, this is what he means. The author of life, Jesus, wants you to learn how to live life the way he designed life to be lived. In other words, he wants you to become more human. Because in the biblical story, to be human is to be made in the image of God. You see, there are things that, that can make us less human or less humane. There, there are things that malign the life that God wants for you. Things that, that twist and distort true life. Things that leave us empty and, and cause more harm to ourselves and to other people. The Apostle Paul names a few of these things in our text this morning. It's in verse 19 to 21. He says, the acts of, of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Apparently, the list goes on. You see, when human beings live into these things, we become less human, less humane. They distort and, and they twist and they malign and they leave us empty and they cause harm to ourselves and other people. This isn't the, design, the designer's design for true life. But here is the nature of true life, church. Here is the life that Jesus came to plant in us. Here is the fruit that Jesus' life produced. Verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, it's peace, it's forbearance or, or, or patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, it's gentleness, self-control. That's what a flourishing life looks like. 
Not more money, not more stuff, not more power, not even more freedom to do whatever you please, but more love and joy and peace and patience and all the rest. This is the life that Jesus lived. And when Jesus says, follow me, he is saying, I want to help you live that life every day that you step out of bed. See, we've come through this series where we've learned about these different ways of walking with Jesus, right? These, these, these spiritual rhythms, ways we can walk with Jesus. But we should know that Jesus invites us to walk with him because he wants to do something. He invites us to walk with him because he wants us to become like him. In other words, Jesus doesn't simply want you to know that he loves you, though he does. He wants to make you more loving. He doesn't want you to know his peace in your life, simply. He wants you to become a peacemaker. He isn't simply patient with you. He wants to make you a patient person to the people around you. See, we we all have goals in life. Maybe think about some of the goals that you have in your own life. We have career goals. We've got fitness goals. We've got financial goals. We've got life goals. We've got parenting goals. My kids, they bought me a coffee mug for Christmas a few years ago, and it says, hashtag dad goals. And I felt like for that cup to actually work, I needed to train my children to make the coffee for me and bring it to me in that mug. That's a dad goal right there. (laughs) We all have these goals. Well, Jesus has a goal for our lives. He has a goal for your life, and he has a goal for my life, too. And it's pretty simple. He wants you to be like him. He wants your life to produce the same fruit that his life did. You see, sometimes, sometimes we think that, that God's ultimate goal for our lives is heaven. Right? We think that Jesus' goal is to save us for life with him in heaven. And certainly that is part of the goal. Of course it is. But I want to suggest to you this morning that that vision is far too small. Because part of being saved for heaven is learning how to live heaven's life. And learning how to live heaven's life is Jesus' goal for you right here, right now. He wants you to become like him long before you enter glory with him. And learning how to live heaven's life is is Jesus' goal. And the fruit of the Spirit in Ephesians 5, 22 to 23, it's what that life looks like. And so over the the next few months, we're actually going to drill into each one of these goals that Jesus has for your life. We're going to drill into love and and to joy and peace, patience, kindness. We're going to drill into all of them. But this morning, let me simply say this about this list. All of these things that we read here, all of it, all of this fruit that God wants to grow in your life, it is captured by the very first love. Love covers them all. If we were to summarize all of the fruit of the Spirit, we would summarize it as love. Because love is the litmus test of whether a person is becoming like Jesus or not. 
And John Mark Comer, uh, in his book called Practicing the Way, I want to commend this book to you. He says this. He says, the single most important question is, are we becoming more loving? Not, are we becoming more biblically educated? Or practicing more spiritual disciplines? Or more involved in church? Those are all good things, but not the most important thing. Are you growing in love? Not just for your friends and family, but for your enemies. When you are hurt, wounded, and treated unjustly, are you finding yourself able to emotionally release the bitterness? To absorb the pain and not give it back in kind? Because, he says, the telos or the goal of the spiritual journey is to become like God. And God is love. But the million-dollar question is how? How how do we become more like Jesus? How do we grow in love? Well, let me tell you how we most often think it happens. (laughs) Or or at the very least, the ways that we honestly try and, and make it happen, the way we try and become more like Jesus. You see, sometimes we think that we can become more like Jesus through information. Right, through information. It's, it's the assumption that the more we know about God, the better equipped we are to become like Him. And there is truth here, of course. There's truth to this, that knowledge is part of our journey of Christian formation. We need it. Uh, but, but we need to understand that knowledge and information of God only takes us so far. I suspect that that you in your own life, you probably know someone who knows a lot about God. (laughs) They know a lot about theology. They've got a lot of opinions uh, about the church because they know a lot. But, But here's the thing. They don't carry the aroma of Christ. They might know a lot, but they don't really love a lot. A renowned child psychiatrist, uh, Robert Coles, uh, he would often tell his graduate students uh, in a course at Harvard about one of his highly respected colleagues. He tells the story of his colleague who comes into his office one day, and, he, and he's just totally frustrated. And he, he says to Cole, he says, I've been doing therapy with the same man for 15 years now, but the man is as angry as self-centered and as mean as he was the first day he walked into my office. The only difference now is that he knows why he is angry and mean. And Dr. Coles then makes the point to his class. He says, we can conclude that what this man really needed wasn't just information, but transformation. And it's because information can only take us so far. Again, Comer, in his book, he says, a lot of churches operate on the assumption that a person's knowledge of the Bible, as a person's knowledge of the Bible increases, their Christian maturity will increase with it. And then he says, I've been around Bible teaching churches for my entire life, and I can assure you that this is, at best, wildly insufficient. You see, information has its place, but we would do well to understand that more more information doesn't automatically result in a transformed life. 
And I want to say that as a church that is a Bible-teaching church, we are and we always will be. As a Bible-teaching church ourselves, we would do well to recognize that becoming like Christ, it requires more than a good sermon with meat to chew on. It requires more than, than, than a Bible study even. Because you can't think your way to Christ-likeness. And one of the other ways, uh, so we, we, we try to become like Jesus through, uh, through information. And don't get me wrong, of course it has its place, but it can't do it all. But the second way that, that we try to become like Jesus is through our sheer willpower. Which, of course, is not a bad thing because we need to put in the effort but willpower alone doesn't transform us into the image and likeness of Jesus either. Just like you can't think your way to Christ-likeness, you can't discipline your way to Christ-likeness either. It's not the way it works. See, this is, was the strategy that many Pharisees in Jesus' day had. They thought that holiness could come through human effort by strictly following the letter of the law. And so like information, willpower has its place, but it's not the solution to becoming like Christ. Which brings us to the third strategy we, we often depend on. And I like to call this one relying on, on a God moment. <laughs> relying on a God moment. It's the idea that God will do all of the work instantly through a moving worship service or, or simply after we've prayed a single prayer. See, sometimes... We hold out hope that, that God will instantly download Christ-likeness Christ in us, like a, an operating system uh, 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 upload overnight on our iPhone. We simply just need to plug it into the wall, and it'll do it overnight. But the reality is God doesn't snap his fingers and make us holy in an instant. It doesn't work that way. Which, incidentally, is why you can have this amazing encounter with Jesus in a worship service but still cuss off the driver who cuts you off in traffic on your way home from church. <laughs> See, our spiritual formation doesn't happen in a moment. Even though those moments are important, they're fuel for the journey. See, there's more to our, our formation than all these grace-filled God moments we experience. So again, let me return to the question, how do disciples of Jesus become like Jesus? Is it something that God does or is it something that we do? How do we become like Jesus? Well, the Bible makes it clear that time and time again, that, that being transformed into the image of Christ is both a work of the Holy Spirit, something God does, and our participation with his work, something that we do. In other words, God transforms us as we participate with his transforming work. God acts first. God acts foremost. And our role in the equation is to participate in what he wants to do. That's what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying in our text. In verse 16, Paul said, he begins, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, walk by the Spirit. Then in verse 25, he goes on and says, live by the Spirit. And then, keep in step with the Spirit. Do you hear how God makes us like Christ? By the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. 
God's Spirit. Make no mistake about it, we don't make ourselves holy. The work of transformation, of a spiritual formation, it isn't an exercise in, in self-betterment, in self-improvement. The only way a person becomes like Christ is through the power of his Holy Spirit at work in a person. We become like Jesus by the Holy Spirit's power. But in order for God's work to take effect, we have a part to play. To walk by the Spirit. To live by the Spirit. To keep in step with the Spirit. You see, so much of being a disciple of Jesus is about learning to participate with, with what the Spirit wants to do to bring us to life. He wants to keep, we need to keep in step with Him rather than going our own direction. Now, the best analogy that I can think of when it comes to our spiritual transformation is the analogy of sleep. <laughs> think about sleeping for a moment. Maybe some of you have been thinking about sleeping for, since I got up here. I'm not sure. <laughs> Murray, I see your eyes dozing off over there. All right, this is a risky illustration. Let's think about sleep for a moment. One of the things about sleep is that you cannot make yourself sleep. Anyone who has troubles sleeping, they know this full well. No matter how hard you try, you cannot make yourself sleep. Rather, what we can do is take up a posture that helps us fall asleep. Right? We, we can lie down in, in a comfortable bed. We can curl our legs. We can put our head on a pillow. We can close our eyes. We, we can turn on a white noise machine, perhaps. But that's where our efforts stop, isn't it? Yet, having taken up these postures in time, sleep comes to us. And the same is true when it comes to, to becoming like Jesus, to becoming holy. We can take up certain postures, so to speak. We can take up these ways of participating with God. And as we do, the Holy Spirit works His holiness into us. His holiness comes to us. He makes us like Jesus. The Spirit makes us like Christ as we walk by the Spirit. And the thing about walking is it's a slow way to get there, isn't it? The journey of Christ-likeness begins with a single step. And it's walked one step at a time. And, and here's the thing. There are no shortcuts to becoming like Christ. It's a journey of one step at a time. Theologian James Houston has said that spiritual formation is the slowest of all human movements. And what matters most is our willingness to walk with the Spirit day in and day out, in season and out of season. So how can we walk with the Spirit in ways that will form us? What are some of the postures that we can take that help us participate in this work of transformation? I want to name three, and, and we'll probably come back to these three as we move about this service a little bit, but, but there are three, three postures, more or less, that we can take up to become more like Christ. First, 
We can walk the road of the spiritual practices, right? Like we've seen over these last few weeks. We, we can build a trellis of things like Sabbath and Scripture, reading uh, Scripture, prayer, worship, generosity. In other words, if you want to become like Christ, you need a pathway to walk with Christ. It just makes sense. And so last week, I gave some homework, and the homework was to build your own trellis. And, and if you weren't here or, or you forgot, that's okay. Let me call you to take time this week to, to make a plan for how you will walk with Jesus daily, weekly, monthly. And, and then don't just make the plan, work the plan. <laughs> walk the steps. We can walk with Jesus. It's posture. It's a, it's a, way, a posture we can have uh, is by practicing the spiritual uh, rhythms. The second thing we can do is that we can connect ourselves to a community of other people who want to be changed, to be like Christ, too. Social scientists say that, that you become like the people that you spend time with. If you spend your time with a health nut, then you'll probably find yourself talking about health things with other people. Or if you're married to a sports fan, you, you might just pick up a thing or two about the sport that they love. And if you commit yourself to being with others who want to become more like Jesus, guess what? You're going to become more like Jesus too. And so joining a small group or, or setting aside time to pull together some of your Christian friends to, to not simply talk about the weather, but to pray and to read scripture or to take up a justice issue together, or serve at Kelowna's gospel mission together. I, I heard of one of our small groups that has begin, begun doing that. These are ways that we can participate in the Holy Spirit's transforming work with other people. And finally, you can learn more about Jesus and his gospel story. It's the third posture we can take. A.W. Tozer, one of the, the great Christian authors, he said... What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the reason it is so important is because we become like our mental picture of God. The more we know who God truly is, the better equipped we are to become like him. This is that information piece, right? We need it. Another way to think about this is through the lens of psychology, which says we live out of the stories we believe. Sorry, we believe. We live out of the stories we believe. <laughs> Having troubles with that word. For instance, if you believe, <laughs> the narrative, if you, if you believe the narrative that, that money will make you happy, you will become someone who chases after wealth with all of your decisions. You'll choose high-paying jobs at the expense of your relationships. You'll give less. You'll probably find yourself owning lots of fancy things. In other words, the story you live in is the story you live out. So one of the ways that we can participate with God's transforming work is to better understand the gospel story. The story that we are living in because of Christ. Because the story you live in is the story you live out in the world. And this is what Paul is saying in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
We can transform our mind by learning about Jesus and his gospel story because that's the story that Christians are called to live out of. And we can learn about this story in multiple ways through, through reading the Bible or, or, or memorizing scripture or, or listening to, to a good sermon or, or, or perhaps meeting with a spiritual director or with a pastor. People who, who might be able to help you pinpoint where you're living out the wrong story in your life. And so how can we participate in the Holy Spirit's transforming work to make us more like Christ? I'm suggesting three things. Through the habits we practice, the company we keep, and the stories we believe. And we'll return to those as we walk along church. We can walk by the Spirit together into the life that Jesus wants for us. Let's walk together. Let's take a step. Let's pray. Jesus, I find it interesting that as we read the scriptures, as we read about your, your love in the world, it, it formed crowds. People came running to you because your love is so attractive. It's like water for the soul. We need it. And Jesus, then there are these moments where you begin to call people to be your disciples. And, and, and you say, you know what? It's going to cost you something. <laughs> and a crowd of thousands becomes a crowd of twelve. And sometimes, Jesus, the call of discipleship is, is a hard one. Because you require something of us. You want our heart, you want our life, you want our whole being. But Jesus, we know that the paradox of it all is that it's in those hard things that we truly find life. It's in those hard steps that, that we actually experience profound love and joy, peace. And so Jesus is a church. We want to say we have heard your invitation to come follow you. And we've received your love. And so we ask Jesus that you would help us take steps to become your love in the days ahead. We pray.